0: Go along. We're here to take notes on
1: Sequelitis. <laughs> Welcome to Sequelitis. I'm Matt. I'm Manny. And on today's episode, what we want to talk about is the Marvel Cinematic well, not just the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We want to talk about superhero movies in general because that is sort of the, the real bread and butter of the film industry at the moment. Um, that's where they're that's making true. tons of money. It's where their bread gets buttered. And it's to the point to where they're doing a cinematic universe for the whole reboot, relaunch of Star Wars. And we both just recently watched Deadpool, and spoiler alert, we both loved it. Yeah, I loved it. And why don't you talk a little bit about what you liked about the film?
0: Uh, Well, I just saw it again last night for the second time. And so it's all sort of trying to... I'm trying to sink it all in, but essentially... If I had to boil it down, I would say it's, it's kind of a parody of like Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, like the first one almost. That's that's how it felt to me, in like the best way possible. I was really reminded of how there can be a guy in a suit, how it can look good, it can seem plausible, it can be realistic. I really felt like I understood Wade Wilson, his whole world. It all made sense. They made it make sense. You know, it was a lot of ridiculous ideas, but they crammed them all together,
1: and showed you how they all work together, and I believed it. Yeah, and I I was never a huge Deadpool fan. I always thought Deadpool was a cool-looking character. I knew that he was edgy, had a lot of catchphrases, you know, that one of the one of the things that was really popular about the character was the way that he would break the fourth wall mm-hmm. constantly. And that was something that was kind of built into the character from his origins, um because they used to do a whole thing where at the uh end of comic books that would have letters from the readers and what they did for Deadpool is whenever they'd write the responses, they'd write the responses as Deadpool addressing the audience and then they incorporated that into whenever they'd recap what had happened in the previous issues they actually had Deadpool giving the recap at the beginning of the issue so you'd start the issue off with Deadpool breaking the fourth wall addressing the audience and end the issue with Deadpool doing the same thing so it seemed natural to them in the development of the character, to just have him do that throughout the issue, which is a huge thing that he does in this movie, I think ninety percent of the time it works really well. Uh, yeah, I definitely think it works too. Also, the other funny
0: thing about Deadpool is that he was really born out of sequelitis, and this movie is kind of a testament to what can happen if you learn how to like manage your sequelitis so that you're like still living with it instead of letting it like give you terminal movie death. Which is what happened to X Men Origins. You know, they let the sequelitis get to them in that movie. They tried to cram in. Well, no, the X Men
1: Origins finished. was a symptom of sequelitis. Like the third X Men movie was, was sequelitis, and the X Men Origin movies was just sequelitis overkill.
0: Yeah, Yeah. this one was taking sequ- is This this movie still is sequelitis, and it still has sequelitis. But it's like they know how to deal with all the the symptoms and the signs. And they're also, they're riding the wave in the right direction. Like, they make you feel like, oh, it would be fun to see a Hugh Jackman, Wolverine, Deadpool team-up R-rated movie. Like, I already feel like that's something I would go see. I would yeah. go see Deadpool in a new X-Men movie. I'd be excited about that.
1: Yeah, and that's something I want to talk about, too. This is this movie is a, would you call it a hard R? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a very brutal, very bloody, very violent, and very sex-filled. There's, there's lots of innuendos. Uh, at one point, you do see Ryan Reynolds' uh, dick and balls, or CGI, or whatever it is that they did. But you do see it. You don't see it like it's not in your face, but he has a, a naked fight scene. Um, and then the other woman that's in the movie, I think you see... Do you see Full Frontal on her? Yeah, and you see yeah. some strippers, too. Yeah, you see strippers. I mean, it's... It's a movie that, like, harkens back to kind of the the raunchy, hardcore action movies you'd get in the 80s. Yeah. Um, Which I I think is good when it's done well. When it's not something that's gratuitous, it's just sort of like this is a real thing that happens in the real world. And in the context of the story that we're telling, this is a sequence of events. And these are images that you would really see if you were actually there. Uh, So that I really appreciate because... You know, something like in Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones goes out of their way to be overly gratuitous, which for some people works and some people, it it turns them off. But it's a really successful show and Deadpool is kind of along that lines where to me, what they did in the movie in terms of the violence, the sex, nudity, language, everything, Mm -hmm. it wasn't, it never got too excessive for me. It never just felt like, okay, that's, you don't have to shove that in my face. I mean, it was there. They they could have done more before I would have gotten kind of overwhelmed by it. I also, So despite being a hard R, it was restrained. Whereas, were any of the X-Men movies rated R? No, no, no. Okay. Um, but also another interesting thing is that this guy,
0: Tim Miller, the director of this, has a background in animation. And some of his big contributions to what he's doing to make this movie different than other superhero movies you've seen is that uh, the eyes on Deadpool and his eyebrows are animated, so sometimes he'll have like sort of boinky expressions, yeah. which adds to the character. And also, Colossus is played like a cartoon character version of himself. Like instead of a movie version of himself, he's like a big, silly cartoon
1: version of himself. And that was great. I mean, he was. It, it, his character was such a great contrast to. Deadpool's character yeah and and it it gave you it gave you that sense of like tongue-in-cheek we're not taking ourselves very seriously so you don't need to take us very seriously um sort of feel but I I do know that toward the end of the movie when they had the big action showdown where I knew just like any other movie things are going to work out the people that I want to live are going to live the people that I want to die are probably going to die yeah you know the the lady's going to get rescued like for me, there really wasn't any stakes there, but I still felt some tension just in watching, like, the action scenes play out, and, and that, that worked for me. Um, and then, just going right back into, like, this is, when, when he's not trying to beat the crap out of somebody, and even when he is, you know, Deadpool going back to his, his smart-aleck, you know, smart mouth character, you know, and, and having, like, that play off of Colossus, I thought that was great. It was a lot of fun. I mean, even Colossus and Negasonic Teenage Warhead, yeah. which, which that was a good character. Like it was, it was done really well. That's sort of the thing that, at least for me, that's what I want when I go to watch a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. I want to watch a movie that is fun to watch. I want to watch a movie that, if it comes on TV, if I walk into a room and someone's watching it, no matter where it is in the movie, I can sit there and I can watch 15 minutes of it. And just be like, I love this part. I love this part. You know, kind of have that experience. Whereas, like, if someone's playing, let's say, Winter Soldier, I haven't seen that. But I kind of get the sense that if I walked in, like, 20 minutes into the movie, I would have no idea what the hell's going on. Avengers 2, Age of Ultron. Like, if you walk into, like, 15 minutes after that starts, you might not have any idea what's going on. Hell, I sat down at the beginning of the movie, and because I hadn't watched all the other Marvel movies, I didn't know what was going on. I knew they were attacking Hydra, and I'm like, is Hydra like Cobra and G.I. Joe? I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, they're, they're really giving me that whole sense of, um, what do you call it, when you get totally worn out on a certain genre or a certain thing? Fatigue, superhero fatigue. Yeah. Like, the, like those were the two that gave me the worst superhero fatigue, is Avengers 2 and Winter Soldier.
1: Yeah, and that's really what I want to talk about on this, on this episode, is superhero movie fatigue. You know, superhero-itis. Just, there's there's so many of them. The third and, um, uh, Captain America movie I'm not excited about. Yeah, well, and that's the kickoff to the whole Avengers Civil War. If I had to rank my favorite superhero movies, it's going to go with Guardians of the Galaxy is going to be probably the top one for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then after that, it would probably be Deadpool. Iron Man, the first Iron Man movie. Ant-Man is kind of like... 3A to that because Ant Man is essentially a remake of the first Iron Man movie. Mm-hmm. Instead of an Iron Man suit, he's got an Ant Man suit. But otherwise, they're beat for beat almost the exact same movie. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, but they're still like brand new experiences. And the way that he uses his suit in Ant Man is very entertaining. And it's a throwback to the 60s when they would do and like Honey, I Shrunk the Kid and those kind of effects. Was yeah, kind of fun,
1: and it was really well done. Although you and I have talked about this before, like Edgar Wright, like had that movie been done by Edgar Wright, and they they stepped back and they're like, okay, we're not gonna force you to shoehorn this into the rest of the, the MCU, we're going to allow you to make an Edgar Wright movie starring Ant Man. I mean, like, that could have been an incredible movie that, that that could have vaunted right up to my favorite spot, you know, my, my favorite superhero movie. Because that's part of the reason why I like Guardians of the Galaxy so much mm-hmm. is that is a movie that is a um, James Gunn movie, you know, where it's, yeah, it's it's a Marvel movie. But you don't have it shoehorned into the rest of the MCU. Yeah. Um, it's 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 something that's eventually going to fit back into the Avengers universe. Yeah. But it was just there's so many signatures of of his directorial style and what he likes to do with
0: characters. Well, I like his movie. I like I like uh, Slither that he made and Super.
1: And then and then to kind of round out my list, I guess I'd have to say that Dark Knight is probably going to be my next favorite uh, movie after that. I'm I'm controversial and then on then maybe Dark Avengers. I don't, I don't like that one. Yeah. Well and there's there's a lot of problems with it and we can talk about those problems and kind of like the sequelitis that, that infected the Batman franchise and now the sequelitis that might infect the Batman, Superman, Justice League universe that they're well, doing. I
0: don't know if we're supposed to like come back to all this stuff, but let me just say for the whole D C universe that they're trying to create, I really am not seeing it. I don't get it. I do not like, like, Zack Snyder's style or, like, the particular style that he's been imploring. I'm sure he can use a, a different style other
1: than this one that he has, but... Well, he does... His style is the direct opposite of what we're talking... Like, all the things that we're saying we like about Deadpool and all the things that I like about Guardians of the Galaxy and James Gunn, Zack Snyder and and before him, Christopher Nolan, they did the exact opposite of that. There wasn't fun, playful moments. There wasn't these... These uh, interesting side characters that you almost feel like you could, you know, make a left turn and follow them for the rest of the movie and get an, an entertaining experience from. There wasn't any of that. It was super serious, very gritty, dark storytelling. Yeah. And you know, to a certain point, like that's okay. But when it comes to a movie where you're you're talking about someone who has superhuman abilities, when you tell that sort of story, if you take it way too seriously. It, it it starts to kind of implode on itself because mm-hmm. what happens is that you're, you're dealing with something that is fantasy. You're dealing with something that is ridiculous, and that is a person having abilities that nobody else on the face of the planet has. Mm-hmm. They're kind of dealing with the moral quandary of like, okay, like essentially, I have, depending on what the powers are, like almost godlike powers. Yeah. And what should I do with those powers? How should I use them? Should I use them just to protect myself? Should I use them to, you know, get power and wealth for myself? Should I use these to selflessly help other people and put myself in danger and put everybody else that I care about in danger? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that's fine. But when you start to do it way too seriously, you just suck all the fun out of the experience. But what they're, the, the thing that they're really not getting right, in my opinion,
0: at the DC in the DC universe is they're not they're not getting off on the right foot like Superman wasn't a big home run for them critically like I'm sure the box office was fine for it but it wasn't a big home run I'm sure it made some money but it wasn't you know what they need is, is Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man that kind of
1: opening, and that was a movie that had fun. That yeah. was a movie that enjoyed itself. That was a movie that said, like, look, we know our premise is silly and crazy, mm-hmm. and like, there's going to be some seriousness to the subject, but we're going to have fun with it. And I think that's problem. That's part of the problem that you had with Iron Man Two. Is Iron Man Two wasn't a fun movie at all. Whereas Iron Man Three, a Shane Black movie, was fun. It, it was enjoyable. It it was crazy and over the top, and then it did things that you didn't expect. Yeah, I like you three know? very much. It's not a perfect movie and I'd have to say like I still like the first Iron Man better than the Third Iron Man, but I like, think so too yeah I mean that that's a rare movie where when you make the third movie, the third movie is way better than the second movie. And I, you know what I think that there's a good movie in
0: Iron Man 2 somewhere in the editing bay like I because I, I like Mickey Rourke's version of Whiplash. I liked the effects that they used. I liked the way a lot of that movie looked, but the way it all came together was just a mess. Yeah, Iron Man 2 is just one of the worst Marvel movies. I
1: mean, like, when I sit here and I try to think about what the plot was to Iron Man 2, and I paid a lot of attention to to the plot, because I, I was like, oh, there's going to be, like, a serious, you know, Iron Man movie, and what's cool. this going to be like? Well, the
0: plot made sense. It was just the, the pacing of it and all, just, like, the bad guys weren't fun, and the, the final showdown at the end was just mishandled badly. Yeah. Because they had Whiplash in a robot suit, or controlling robot suits from a distance, like, fighting... Iron Man and War Machine, and it was like this total cartoon CGI ending.
1: Well, and the thing they kind of glossed over too, and this is this is the the fault of a PG thirteen movie, which in Dark Knight Rises huge issue is at the end of Iron Man two. I mean, hundreds of people die. Yeah, hundreds of people die, and they die horribly, and you never see a second of that. Whereas at least with Dark Knight Rises, they showed that people died, but. I mean, you have people get gunned down in the street and you don't mm-hmm. see a single drop of blood. It's dumb. And your, your main villain dies off screen. Or at least you think he dies. He just disappears off screen. You never see him again. What a horrible way to do the movie. Especially with a villain that if you had done it right, you would have made him, like, a lot... I, I, wrote, I wrote a review in um, a whole paper on, on Dark Knight Rises... I actually wrote it, like, praising the movie, but I still found a lot of things to criticize about it. Oh, really? But with that movie, like, that was a huge, like, the way that they treated the villain of Bane. They set up such a great character, and then it was executed horribly, just so poorly. At the time, I couldn't understand why people hated on Christopher Nolan so much, but then in going back and rewatching his movies and kind of seeing what he was doing, and then seeing the movies he made... You know, after that, I was like, oh, okay, I get it. He's somebody that thinks he's smarter than his audience and he's really trying to show them like, I know film better than you do, I know story, I know character better than you do. And yeah, to some degree that's true, but at the same time, like if you cannot relate to your audience and you're trying to not relate to your audience, nobody's gonna enjoy the movie. Like film students maybe enjoy the movie, but if you make it like work for people, if the whole point of it is to get people to pay as many people as possible to pay to see the movie, the movie shouldn't feel like work. The movie should feel like you're taking time away from work to just to just escape. And there's there's no there's no entertainment more escapist than a goddamn superhero movie. Am I right?
0: You're right. And yeah. can I also say um, I do want to be on the record saying that um, I've I've I'm a big Batman fan, and while I like. The idea of what Christopher Nolan was doing, and I, I, generally speaking, I like the fact that there's a whole nice little set of Batman movies out there that are made by one director. Like, ultimately, I don't like most of Batman Begins. Like, I only like the first 45 minutes of it, I think. I don't like anything at all from number two, Dark Knight. And that was a movie that I liked at first a lot, like everyone else. But I, the more I re-watched it, I found logical errors, the kind of things that drive you crazy, like... I found those, like, and every yeah. moment has it. Not every scene, but, like, every moment, every look. I mean, like, the whole opening bit where he kills every single person in his crew. Okay, so you're
1: talking about you know, Dark like, Knight when Joker robs the the, the whole kind of, the like... The opening bit. The opening, yeah, I forget what that's... It's like a cold open, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's just the, the opening sequence, you'd say. It's it's pretty much, like, disconnected from the rest of the plot. But, yeah, he kills everybody in the crew, and you never really get a sense of, well, why does he even do that? Well, first of all,
0: it's supposed to make you think, like, oh, he's a cold-blooded guy, and he's got this. He's got a master plan, he's totally cold-blooded, and this is what you get. But, I mean, think about all the time and energy it takes to train new people, and, and are you going to find another person to crack a safe? Like, that, that one dude had, uh, a couple of those dudes had very specific skills. Yeah. And, like, you get in there and you work with those guys... And there it's also, really poor
1: resource management. Yeah, it really is.
0: And it, like, while it makes a little bit of sense in a cinematic moment, think about like training
1: another whole team of people to do that. I mean, it's it's completely silly. Well, and it's something too. Like the same way that the cold open at the beginning of Dark Knight Rises played out, like it's something that um, is just there to be a little teaser thing that you can release to build up anticipation for the movie, mm-hmm. and it doesn't spoil the plot to the movie at all. Because any, like you could go into watching The Dark Knight knowing all about that cold open sequence and not know anything else about the plot. Same thing with The Dark Knight Rises, and that's one of the frustrating things because uh, I know a lot of people really, really love the director of the Avengers movies, Joss Whedon, but he kind of did a thing with with Avengers 2 that really annoyed the shit of, out of me, and that is when filmmakers make movies that you know are all about let's try and create moments that we can have in the trailer, and let's try and show an image that will be on the poster for the movie right. and on kids' backpacks and kids' lunchboxes and on. You know, the packaging for the toys and on Happy Meal boxes Mm -hmm. and on subway menus whenever it's like, oh, and now we have Avengers Meals for kids. And like, that's really annoying because it's like, you know, I understand you want to make a movie for as wide an audience as possible. But it's like, if you really want me to go see your movie, make a goddamn movie for me. And I'm not the only person who wants to see these movies. There's a lot of people that are similar to me or have similar taste and interest as I do. Make a movie for us. Don't make a movie for, you know, that fucking Joe Blow and his dumbass kids can go and watch. I don't care about them. You know, that's why they make Penguin mm-hmm. movies or Norm the Snow Bear, Polar Bear movies. You know, yeah. like, make those goddamn movies. Like, like, make rom-coms for those people. Make a good... Make more Deadpools. Make more Guardians of the Galaxy.
0: Yeah, but uh, back to Batman for just a second. Uh, so he kills his whole crew, and, like, the, the one piece of logic that totally sucks is when the bus backs up into the bank out of nowhere and, like, runs over the one guy. Because the one guy's like, oh, you're supposed to kill me, huh? And Joker's like, no, I killed the bus driver. And then the bus driver backs over the last guy, and then the bus driver comes out, and then Joker kills him. And, and And then the bus pulls out into a row of other buses that are perfectly all, like, going right out that door... And it's such a stupid moment, it doesn't make any sense. Like, are all those drivers on his team too? And like, what, he's going to go kill them one by one? Like, good job driving a bus today, bam, bam, bam. Yeah, because none of the
1: other buses would stop when they're like, holy shit, that bus just backed into a building, and now it's pulling out of the building, and like, from the shot that they show you, there's all this dust pouring out, nobody stops, nobody blinks an eye. Right. Like, it, like, is that the thing? Like, Supposedly, Batman had cleaned up the city so well that all the criminals were afraid of Batman, yet you're sitting here seeing that people are just like, oh, there's a bus that just backed into a building and then pulled out and is driving alongside us. Nobody stops. Nobody bats an eye. There's not a single fucking police car that goes by. Nothing.
0: But, like, I get the emotion that it's going for, and it's trying to give you this action-filled opening scene. It's a high scene. It's a classic way to open a movie. It's showing you a new type of villain that you've never seen before, the kind of guy that will kill his own crew. And so I get what they're going for, and some of those emotions do work on you the first time you see the movie or the second time, but it just it isn't a rewatchable concept. Like It loses all it, it no, logic. The only, the logic. only
1: thing that's, that's rewatchable about that movie is to watch Heath Ledger's performance because Heath Ledger just has such a... He he's got such a, a a vigorous energy that he interjects into that character to where like you you watch it and, and part of it's just because of the makeup, but a lot of it is is his um performance. Mm-hmm. You don't see an actor there. You see that character. That's all you see. Yeah. And it's crazy because he's so vivacious and and fully uh fleshed out compared to Christian Bale's Batman, you're just like he looks like a fucking like like you, it makes you want to stop rooting for Batman because you you look at a guy like Christian Bale and you think like he doesn't need a bat suit
0: you know somebody like Michael Keaton needs to dress up as a bat to scare people because he's not a scary looking guy like what is Christian Bale's whole thing like he's chasing down a mugger he's this big dude like he doesn't need a he doesn't need to strike fear into people like he's a big scary looking dude like to me that that
1: never plays as well as all that yeah and. I mean like it really like all the things that seemed to work really really well in the first Batman movie just didn't seem to work as well and the saving grace of the of of dark of the dark knight was the fact that the Joker was such an incredible character and you get like even having watched the movie I've I've watched the movie dozens of times yeah. even at this point you still get the sense that every time he's on screen especially when he goes into that party you're like what is he going to do like like this is scary cuz he could do anything yeah. You know, like, like I, I grew up in, in the 80s, so there was all those slasher films, and the Joker's character was by far scarier than, like, fucking Jason, Michael Myers, you know, Freddy Krueger, any of those slasher characters. The Joker was far scarier, because the thing was, is, like, you would watch those movies, and you're like, okay, those are people that don't really exist. Maybe Michael yeah. Myers a little bit. But like when you see the Joker, you're like, holy shit, if I saw somebody like that, it doesn't matter who I am, that's a scary motherfucker, because he's unhinged. But let's dissect his plan a little bit. I know you probably haven't seen that
0: movie in a while, Not neither have I, but I've got it all memorized. But basically what Joker's plan is in that movie is to put Batman and other people to a series of tests where they have to make one bad decision or another bad decision. And he puts both those bad decisions in their lap, like, you gotta make that decision, I don't have to make it. You know, but he's forcing them to make these bad decisions. So one of the first ones is when he says, you know, I've got uh, Two-Face and I've got Maggie Gyllenhaal and you've got to go save the one that you Well, want.
1: no, at the time he's Harvey Dent. Right. Harvey Dent and Harvey Dent's girl who is ba- Batman's ex-girlfriend.
0: Right. And he purposefully switches the addresses when he tells Batman, which to me means that he isn't playing fair. Like he claims that he's sort of playing this game and Batman can kind of play it. But really what he does is more of a Riddler sort of a thing. Like, his whole plot line would have made more sense if the Riddler would have done it.
1: They they did a much more serious version of what they did in Batman 1989, which was Joker's whole plot was to get the citizens of Gotham to turn on each other. But then he did the Joker thing of gassing everybody. And and that's sort of what the Joker's trying to do in The Dark Knight, where he's trying to get everyone to to kind of turn on each other. Mm-hmm. But still, like the blowing up the hospital plots, you know, just the level of organization that has to go into everything that he does, right. the timing of it and everything. Like, it just doesn't make sense for a guy who is, like, if he's not schizophrenic, they say outright that he's employing schizophrenics. And it's like, yeah, look, if you have a bunch of people that are insane, if you have people that are so crazy that they let you sew a cell phone bomb inside their stomach,
0: right.
1: they're they're... They're probably not going to show up to work half the fucking time. Right. You know? And the other half the time, you're going to murder them. Yeah. Or they're going to try to murder you, or they're going to be drunk, or they're going to, like, go and fucking, you know, bring an informant in there. I mean, in the opening scene, Joker kills, like, seven bad guys. Like, he's
0: doing Batman's job for him.
1: Well, then he goes to the to the mobsters meeting that he's able to find out, but Batman isn't f- able to find yeah, out. he's a better
0: Batman than Batman. He's a
1: better detective than Batman, yeah. <laughs> and he kills one of those guys. And then he goes to that other guy's office, and he kills half his henchmen, and then he makes the other rest of the henchmen kill each other. Now, that was a very chilling scene when he breaks a, p- a pool cue, and he's got those three guys, and he throws the stick down, and he's like, whoever survives gets to join the game. And, like, that's something where, like, in a hard R version of that, like, you see, like, the brutality of it, which would be great.
0: Honestly, dude, I would love to, after this is over, put that scene on because... That's a scene that always rubs me the wrong way. Every scene in that movie rubs me the wrong way. Now when I watch it, I bet it, I bet it will rub you too. He's like he's like we're having uh, tryouts. And it's like okay, whatever, dude. <laughs> yeah, but we're d- having uh, aggressive expansion. Grr. Okay, dude, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, but you also Fuck have yourself. to realize
1: like like part of his performance like. Heath Ledger did a great job because he realized the character would realize part of his performance is for the people that are seeing him. Because then when he's in the interrogation room and when he's talking to Batman one-on-one, he's speaking to him in a certain way that he doesn't speak to other people. Because he realizes, he's like, I'm not intimidating to you at all. Like, what's scary to you is that I cannot be reasoned with. What's scary to you is the fact that you can't beat me into submission. You can't intimidate me. So I don't need to intimidate you. You know, Whereas when he starts talking to the other cop, he's fucking playing the guy like a fiddle, which is genius. He's a genius character.
0: Uh, Also, another thread that they pulled too hard on was Chris Nolan's fault, because he is the one that said that he based the visual cues and a lot of the inspiration for the movie on the movie Heat, which I don't know if you saw, but I had not seen it at that point, and I went and I watched it. And I loved Heat so much that I basically became a huge fan of Heat (laughs) and started to hate The Dark (laughs) Knight. But I was like, I was like, Heat is genius in every way. Everything about Heat is genius. Because in Heat, they open with a high scene that makes way more sense. I don't know if you've seen the movie, if you've seen it. Yeah, recently. no, I know, I
1: know that Heat is based on. There was a, uh, there was an armed robbery and shootout in North Hollywood in like 1990.
0: No, but that's what Heat was based on. I'm saying that Dark Knight was based on Heat. No, no, and I know that, I know that. But yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, Saying yeah. like, yeah, true. Well,
1: and there's also Dog Day Afternoon, and I think there's a little bit of Dog Day Afternoon in this movie as well.
0: Perhaps. But in Heat, they open up with a very similar uh, heist scene, except it's not stupid, to where they're all murdering each other. And what happens is that there's a new guy who no one is really sure about, and he's kind of like the Joker character in the crew, you know. And, and yeah. no, no, and he comes into the crew, and his name is uh, uh, Wayne Wayne uh, Wayne Roy or something like that. Wayne, something like that. Uh, and he's like a loose cannon, right? And so he gets onto the scene, and he's pointing a gun at this. Uh, at this guy and he's saying don't you move motherfucker don't move and the guy can't hear him because there's blood coming out of his ear which um, Tom Sizemore is screaming at him like
1: he can't fucking hear you calm down or maybe, oh yeah, yeah yeah I think I remember seeing that scene and, uh, and
0: uh, yeah, Gainway uh, I can't remember his name uh, anyway and so he shoots the guy and so he basically he turns a, a robbery into a murder yeah. and then everybody else in the crew like freaks out and they're like what the fuck did you do that for you know, we're not here to kill people let's bug out let's bug out and then they start an intimidation and and uh, a whole plot where they've got to find this guy and murder him because he's putting their crew in, in danger by killing people on their jobs. And it's like, that's a plot line that makes more sense. And it's got that Joker kind of character, and I feel like they wanted a character like that to come in and sort of screw the whole job up. Yeah, and, I
1: mean, it, I, I think kind of going by what I think you're saying, it would have made more sense to have... Um, you know, the Joker be somebody that's part of somebody else's gang, and then he essentially takes over that gang. Yeah. And he ruthlessly murders the leader of that gang to the point to where, like, everybody else is either like, okay, we either join up with him, or he's going to fucking kill us and yeah. our families. But instead, they made it to where he was the boss, they talked about him, they're like, yeah, why do th- how do you think he got those scars?
0: why do they call him the Joker? And it's like, why do, why do you call him your boss? Like, you've well, never again, met this it's,
1: guy? It's a, scene, it's a scene that's not made to fit into the movie. It's not a scene that's that's meant to, like, advance any sort of narrative in the film itself. It's a scene that exists solely to be part of a teaser trailer. And that's it. And yeah, that perhaps. that is cheating the audience. Um, but I, I don't want to sit here. Let's, let's talk about a couple of the other films. I can tell you that Zack Snyder's uh, Man of Steel, that movie, it's dreadful. It's a chore to watch that movie. And maybe some people will disagree with me. My big problem with Superman as a character and in trying to do a Superman film is that Superman essentially, like like the character himself, he is invulnerable. And that's why in the early 90s, they had to do that comic book where they kill Superman because people were at a point to where they'd gotten into a dark, gritty, um, vulnerable flawed superhero uh, in, in Batman, and that was a super, super popular character based on some of the things that Frank Miller and other other writers were doing with that character. And the, the 90s animated show was a big influence, too. Everybody saw that show. The Hold on, you're cutting me off before I get to finish my point. Yeah. So what happened is is in the, I think it was like, what, 1990, 1991? Or maybe it was 1993. I can't remember. But at the time, I was collecting comic books. And I went out and I got the special edition issue, The Death of Superman. And that was the whole reason why they did it. They were like, if we kill Superman, it will sell a lot of issues. Because we will do something that nobody else has been able to do ever with the character of Superman, which is to kill him. Yeah. And like, the thing is, is like, in, in the 40s and 50s... When you had the Cold War start up and get going, you needed to have an impenetrable, invulnerable, unstoppable American hero that people could kind of rally behind because it gave us a sense that America, which was a country that had gone through a lot of strife yeah. in, in um, the Great Depression and then going into World War II and even before that with prohibition and all the violence from that, you needed to, you need to have a sense that hey, that, hey, America is a superpower and the way to really really sum that up for the public zeitgeist was to have a character who wore the american colors red white and blue stood for truth justice in the american way that was fine for that time but as people kind of moved along and, and we we saw vietnam we saw these other things that kind of crept into people's mind the idea of this unstoppable american superhero was kind of if it wasn't an outright scary thing it was just plain boring like nobody wants to watch somebody who can't lose I think Stretch the Cat can hear us recording and wants to come in,
0: but I can't open up the window from that way, so I can't let Stretch the Cat I
1: had out. to cut Stretch the Cat out of the last episode. Oh,
0: no. No, I heard Stretch the Our Cat. Our
1: viewers can't, can't see Stretch no, the I Cat. No, I heard Stretch You didn't cut out Stretch the Cat. Cause well, I, heard I, it I, I the cut out episode. some of the conversation about Stretch the Cat. Anyway. With, with Superman, like, that was a character that, you know, once they did the death of Superman, that was kind of like as far as you could go with the character. And, and what, they, what they should have done with the character was let him be dead for, like, 5, 10 years. And have other comic book characters in the DC Universe talk about Superman and talk about how he's gone. And even have some people say, like, I don't think he's dead. I think he's out there somewhere. You know, but never have Superman come back. Instead, they did this horrible thing where they had all these different versions of Superman. And they were all terrible. I think they only kept one but like, not even like a year later, they brought Superman himself back just because everyone hated every single one of those characters. Well, can I say for the record that I really enjoy the Death of Superman animated movie
0: that they made, and I have a copy of it, and I really enjoy that. Yeah. And they also have a special uh, feature that you can watch that tells that whole story that you're telling right now, and it's uh, it's d- done in more detail. And like, I-, I do enjoy that whole story. It's interesting to hear but about. Can Can you say the whole name
1: so that people can look it up if they're interested? The Death of Superman is the name of it. Do you know who it's by? Or what year it came out? When we fast forward to 20... Was it 14? Because I'm a When big, Man of Steel came out? I'm a big movie fan,
0: and I can tell you, bar none,
1: these are the two
0: best Superman animated movies that they've ever made. Yeah, in my Superman, opinion.
1: Doomsday, and then All-Star Superman. Yeah, those are both freaking excellent. All-Star Superman's better. But, the, but this this doesn't have the death of Superman. Uh, Superman Doomsday. That's the death. Um, is, that is that's the. Oh yeah, that's what it's called. Sorry, Superman Doomsday. That's the death of Superman movie. Yeah, Doomsday was kind of a cool character. I mean, at least it was to me when I was like twelve or eleven or whenever it was the, that the comic book came out. Um, you know, Doomsday was kind of a cool character because it's like, oh my god, he's so mysterious and he's unstoppable and he just looks evil. Mm-hmm. You know, and and when Superman finally figures out like how to slow him down and hurt him. Like, that was kind of an interesting part of the story.
0: Uh, Also, can I say that I thought that X-Men Days of Future Past was one of the better
1: comic movies that's come out in a long time? Um, It was good. It had some incredibly hokey moments. Um, You know, what did you think about X-Men First Class? I'm not as
0: big on that movie as
1: as other people are. I don't find it to be real rewatchable. I don't either, but I tell you one way that you could have made that movie worlds better is just to have that movie be about uh, Magneto's character and to tell everything from his character's point of view. But I realized what they wanted to do is they wanted to get away from how bad the third X-Men movie was, and they wanted to kind of get into, like, hey, we've got James McAvoy as a younger uh, Professor Xavier. We've got... Michael Fassbender, who is one of the best actors going right now. Mm-hmm. He is Magneto, and he was as good a Magneto as Ian McKellen was as Magneto. And then you had um you had all these new young hot actors coming up, you know, Caleb Landry Jones being one of them. Jennifer Lawrence yeah. was Mystique. Mystique. And like that was that was one of the times when you, you had the rare occurrence of like you know, having a young actor replace an actor who's still young and still living, and like just blow that actor out of the water. Yeah. And not that not that Jennifer Lawrence's performance as Mystique was that great, but I'm a hell of a lot more interested in Mystique as a character with Jennifer Lawrence playing her than I am with you know Re- Rebecca John Samos's ex-wife. I have to agree. I love Jennifer Lawrence, and if you hear this, I just want to know
0: I love you, Jennifer Lawrence. And Jennifer
1: Lawrence looks like my sister.
0: Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, uh, strange fact. But anyway, Jennifer Lawrence is so compelling with her acting because she is so like raw with her stuff. It's like it feels like it's coming right from the heart, you know. And I think she maybe she has extremely easy access to that kind of a thing, or maybe she works hard on it. But
1: however it comes out, like like it's it's really fun to watch her movies. Well, she's one of those rare young people that is not afraid to be vulnerable. And like um, just just a note to any aspiring actors and actresses out there that may be listening like you have to embrace your sense of vulnerability. Like you have to be willing to be vulnerable in front of people if you really want to succeed as an actor, especially if you're doing drama, but even if you're doing comedy, like part of comedy is exposing vulnerability and watching people respond to that. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that Jennifer Lawrence really, really exceeds at. Um, and you can see a great example of that if you go and watch Silver Linings Playbook. She's fantastic in that movie. Um, i love that movie yeah yeah that's a a great movie but um you know to talk about a not so great movie going back to man of steel Zack snyder's film i couldn't finish man of steel it was so bad it it was i mean like i went and watched i paid well i had passes to see it at the theater i went and watched it in the theater and the only reason i watched it was because i was intending to write an article about it and and i was going to write about what i said about batman versus superman like, Batman's a more interesting character because he's human. He can die. He can be killed. He can be hurt. Whereas Superman, he can't be. Superman is an Atomic Age hero. You know, he's somebody that can live through a nuclear blast. Like, it would be Superman and cockroaches and Keith Richards and Captain Jack Sparrow. Hey, we should propose comic book
0: ideas. Okay, here's our No, no, no,
1: no, 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 no. What we need to talk about is we need to focus so on... So, one sentence
0: thing. Okay. Superman and the roaches. That's it. And all on the whole planet is Superman and roaches.
1: I hate you. And I'm gonna stab you in the eyeball with this pen just like the Joker did to that one guy in the mobster meeting.
0: You know, the more times I watch that scene too, I can't stand that scene. What kind of sense does that make?
1: <laughs> if so anyway, see a magic trick or Like uh, here here's another problem with Man of Steel. Fucking Kevin Costner's in it. And I know you love Kevin Costner like he's the sure. man of your dreams, he's your boyfriend, he's you wish great, yeah. he would adopt you as your as I mean, his you son. Yeah, when he made so lover. many
0: good movies that people talk ish
1: on like Waterworld and Waterworld sucks. Postman. We need to do a sequel ideas on that. You we know. need to do a sequel ideas on Water Waterworld Postman and and we'll title it Kevin Costner, why did you do this to us? I never caught Dancing with Wolves, but I know that's supposed to be a really good one. Yeah, that's supposed to be a good movie. Uh, but I watched I watched man, Kevin Robin Costner's Hood. Robin Hood. So good. Yeah. No. Alan but Rickman yeah, I mean Kevin did. Costner. Kevin died. Costner is freaking uh, Superman's dad. You know what was his name? Mark Kent. I don't even care. I don't remember. Like here, here here's the thing about it, and I know you're kind of sticking Uncle a little ben. bit to the source material. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into Uncle Ben. You're sticking a little bit to the source material with, with uh, that character, but still like, I think it would have been a much more interesting story if you got into sort of this whole thing about like, here are these people that live in the middle of nowhere, they have boring ass lives, and like all of a sudden this alien kid comes to them and that's like a life-changing thing. And then it turns out that because of the, the yellow, the yellow energy of the sun, he has superpowers. He's a miniature god, yeah. and like, When they showed the scene where he saves all the kids on the school bus, it's like at that moment right there, Zack Snyder screwed up by not having the story focus on people trying to exploit... Clark Kent's superhuman abilities, and instead you have the very, very dumb and frustrating plotline of, you know, uh, Pa Kent being like, boy, you can't ever show people the superpowers. You should have just let all them kids drown. Like, them God <laughs> wanted them kids to drown, son, okay? Like, you shouldn't have saved them. You should have let them all drown, just like you're going to let me get sucked up into this tornado here. It's frustrating. All the Jesus imagery, like it's awful. If, if you would have had something to where like you do have almost like an antichrist story playing out with Superman, where you do get people that think he's the antichrist, like that's an interesting story to tell. It's very, very contemporary, but instead it's just this really outdated, very pedestrian, very disappointing story of like, oh, well, if you've, if you've got something that makes you special, you need to like just pretend that you're not special. And like that's not the culture that we live in at all. Like there yeah. is, if anything, humility is discouraged in our culture. Uh, yeah, that was a that was like an opposite
0: arc choice. Like this is the same kind of thing they did in RoboCop, which I, I like to complain about that. Like in the original, you're RoboCop, talking about the RoboCop remake, right? Yeah, in the original one, it was like he 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 was such a robot at first, and he had to regain his humanity. But in the new one, he's too human and too big of a pussy, and he needs to like let the computer take over yeah. and, and, like, wipe the humanity out.
1: And, and I don't want to get too much in that. Uh, like, they did like, the
0: same thing with Superman. Like, instead of saying, like, because you have great power, you have this great responsibility, he's saying, like, well, because you have this great power, you have to hide oh. it. You know, that's the opposite of being responsible. It's like hiding. Yeah, it's
1: <laughs> like you can do things that can change people's lives. Like, you know, the... the um, when, when... when I think there's a shot. I think it's in the trailer for the new movie. I can't I can't remember, but this image of like someone being stuck on their roof and then they look up to the sky and like superman is silhouetted by the sun and he's like floating down you know to like pluck them off this roof like that's a very powerful image because that's something we see where like you know human beings are rescuing each other you know through the the wonderful powers of helicoptery and it's like if it's you amazing. had if you had this one human being that had unlimited powers But the one thing holding him back was that he was confined to one single human-like body. Mm -hmm. You know, you have God on Earth, but he is just one being. Like, there's so much ground you can take with that story. and There's so many ways you can explore that. And that's something that that Zack Snyder doesn't do at all.
0: Let's segue a little bit. Do you have any predictions for when the superhero fatigue is going to just bottom out the movie industry?
1: What's the next we're franchise? We're approaching it right now. I mean, like you see stuff like when they did um, Spider Man let's do the count. Spider Man John Fire Carter John John Carter on Mars movie like It wasn't a comic book though. Well no, but it was it was it predated comic books, the the original source material. Yeah, but it was it's in the vein of like a big overbloated
0: budget that's based on a pre existing property. So it fits that, all that those if it's that was a movie that if cyclitis. they were
1: smarter they would have realized like, hey, you know what? Once they made uh, Star Wars, like you can't make this movie. Like this is a movie that people are going to be like, nah, they're going to shrug their shoulders at, which is exactly what people did. They and like that's kind have, of the thing have with Superman it. like you got to do something with Superman. Like, There's two ways you can go about making a good Superman movie. And it seems like they're starting to do it a little bit with with this Dawn of Justice movie. Where it's like, okay, what happens if people start questioning, like, hey, what do we do with this guy that has godlike powers? Should we fear him? Should we try to stop him? Should we worship him? You know, like, that's an interesting thing to do. And that's what they should have done with the first movie in the first place. Or you have something to where you talk about, like, You wrote this play. Full disclosure: Matt wrote this play called uh, he co-wrote it uh, called the adventure, the new adventures of Jesus Christ. And it was about if Jesus Christ came back today. This is the edit point. Edit out. (laughs) If Jesus Christ start now. If Jesus Christ came back today, like what if like he kind of went for more the rock star rap rap mogul kind of lifestyle. And, like, that's something interesting you could do with a character like Superman, whereas, like, what if Superman bought into his own hype? What if Superman went Kanye West on himself, and he thought he was God's gift to the rest of us, that we should all worship him, you know? And, like, how would that play out? Yeah. And, and that's kind of the interesting thing, because when you give someone an unlimited amount of power, like, that's the thing you have to look at. What makes that interesting is what, what are the things that convinces that, that individual to use those powers for good? You know, and that's sort of the, the storyline that they, they hint at a little bit with the X Men movies, but ultimately the X Men movies are more about like bigotry and, um, you know, what, what's commonly issues in the uh, lesbian, gay, transgender community. Well, the X Men does an
0: excellent job of isolating itself with its whole like mutation premise. And Deadpool belongs to the whole X-Men universe. So in that movie, it's all about how can your genes mutate instead of like how can you gain a superpower. And I think it's interesting how the X-Men universe exists inside the Marvel universe, but it really does its own thing with superpowers and where they come from. And that's
1: something that Deadpool did really well that a movie like Man of Steel doesn't do at all. Right. Which is it shows that he gains these incredible abilities at the cost of... You know essentially what it is that he feels like is a big part of his identity like it disformed it it disfigures him you know yeah and he feels like it it disfigures him enough to the point to where he can't go back to the life that he used to lead which is the whole reason he got involved with that in the first place but yet he's gained these like incredible superpowers so he's now isolated himself and like what's really interesting about the movie and the character is that instead of him being like, well, now I am a superhero because with great power comes great responsibility, he does the opposite of that. And he's like, I don't give a shit about anything except beating the hell out of this guy who did this thing to me and getting him to fix my damn face.
0: Yeah, I, but I just think the framework is there for the X-Men universe to in, in a more scientifically aware world that we live in than we did 60 years ago or 100 years ago, whenever Superman was first created. And now we can have these like sort of scientifically explained plausible scenarios for how you might get superpowers. And mutations is a great fill in the, the science gap for that. You know, yeah. It doesn't and, make and real
1: sense, but it, it, it makes enough sense to let it be passable. And that's one of the storylines that they played with in the X-Men movies was like, okay, well, what if what if we offered these people the ability to do, you know, essentially our version of gay conversion for mutants? Like Like, mm-hmm. hey, you know what? You've got this special thing about you. But you want to be just like everybody else, so we'll, we'll inject you with this stuff and it'll make you just like everybody else. And like those people who have already embraced what's different about themselves see that as a threat to yeah. them being accepted in society and them being able to lead something which would resemble a normal life for them. They're like, I have to give up this essential part of my identity in order to be accepted by everybody else. You know, and with Iron Man, that's a
0: movie where he doesn't have any superpowers either. He's, a, he's another Batman. Yeah, I mean, time. Iron
1: Man is, is Marvel's Batman. Yeah, He's, he's super rich, mm-hmm. he has unlimited resources, he has a major character flaw. Part of the way he overcomes that is by creating, like turning his own body into a weapon.
0: Yeah, and and his use of technology actually makes more sense than Batman's, like, either super ninja ability or his super detective ability, whatever he's supposed to have, whatever his power is supposed to be. Like, Iron Man's being smart and building contraptions that help him fight bad guys actually makes way more sense. And I I
1: wish, like, my my fantasy version of a Batman movie is a movie that shows Bruce Wayne as being a person who descends into madness. That his thirst for, for revenge, like, essentially, like, if you made Batman movie, that was Memento, you know, like that would be an incredibly compelling movie to watch. You know, where someone's Chris on this... Nolan
0: directed Memento.
1: I know Chris Nolan, and that's what Chris Christopher Nolan should have done with the Batman movie. Like that would have been unbelievable <laughs> if he remade Memento, but he just put Batman in it. <laughs> where like he just keeps chasing down Jackie Chill, and like you know, he's got like his buddy, and his buddy's like, "Hell, I could be a Jackie Chill." <laughs> and yeah, he's and like, his, his tattoo. Jackie Chill. <laughs> his tattoo says, uh,
0: "Remember the Riddler," and he's like, "The Riddler.
1: Who is the Riddler?" <laughs> Is that a riddle? <laughs> so let's... let's I, I wrote down some stuff here. When, when it comes to these, these superhero movies, like a smaller story versus a, a bigger one, and what you tend to have is, like, these superhero movies, when you talk about getting, like, kind of superhero fatigue, yeah. a lot of that has to do with the fact that the stories become so formulaic that as soon as the movie starts, you're like, I've already seen this. I mean, I know what's going to happen before it actually happens, the only thing that I don't know is what the scenes are gonna look like and what the exact dialogue is. But otherwise, like, I know what's gonna happen. And that's because these, these stories kind of follow this, this same formula of, you know, here's the person, if it's an origin story, here's someone who seems like a regular person. Then they encounter this device, some kind of occurrence that gives them incredible abilities. For Spider-Man, it's getting bit by a radioactive spider for Iron Man it's he gets the Iron Man suit for Ant-Man it's he gets the Ant-Man suit and for Ant-Man they need to do the Ant-Man or like they need to do the Ant-Man prequel that's the movie they need to make they need mm. to make the movie the story of Hank Pym you have the origin story mm-hmm. and then with the sequel that's where a lot of these movies kind of run into trouble cuz it's like all right the interesting thing is watching someone come into realization that they have incredible abilities And then watching them kind of overcome the stumbling of of trying to figure out how to use those abilities to good effect. Uh, Spider-Man 2 was a good sequel. Spider-Man 2 was a good sequel. I mean, there was stuff about it I didn't like. Basically, any of the scenes with Mary Jane. The reason why that movie was so good, it's the same thing with The Dark Knight. The reason why The Dark Knight is so beloved is because it has a great villain in it. And, like, the villain in in that movie is is great. And one of the cool things about it, too, is um, Dr. Octavius... Like, he starts off as a guy who likes Peter Parker. And he's a good guy. Just his ambitions, like, turn him into a monster. Like, literally turn him into a monster. And it's really incredible because you do see moments of struggle with that character. And, you know, that made it interesting. He was definitely more interesting than the Green Goblin ever was. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. And then the third movie was just garbage. The third movie, there's things I like about it, but all told, I don't like it. Can we can we pitch our our alternate version for the third movie? Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Okay, so here's what I talked about. What I would have loved to see for Spider Man three, is that Spider Man three immediately starts off with Peter Parker kind of struggling with wanting to give up being Spider Man, and then in that moment, like that's when he encounters the alien symbiote. Well, that's how they
0: did it, the two number two though. Let's remember that they did that whole plot there where he wants to give up the suit in two.
1: So you could redo it, but slightly... Well, okay, let's let's say it has to do something with, like, he he's forced to make a choice to where, like, he realizes, like, he puts people's lives in danger. What if he puts he start, his own life in danger?
0: What if he starts to feel like he doesn't have enough power? Like, he uh, he starts to get the sense that he isn't strong
1: enough. Well, and doesn't that happen, though? Is that his powers stop working on him? Like, like isn't... that it, happens.
0: But I'm saying that his powers are working full, full, but he's just... He's not... Powerful enough to beat some of these guys that he goes against. But I thought the third one had to do with, like, impotence. Wait, but we're rewriting the third one.
1: Yeah, but I'm, I'm saying, like, isn't that something that happened in the third movie? Oh, so, yeah, He yeah. becomes impotent. Yeah, I want to keep that stuff. That's what I like. I like the symbiote okay, suit. Okay, so, yeah, he, he becomes imbi- impotent, but then he encounters the symbiote suit, and the symbiote suit essentially infects him, but rather than trying to find a cure for it, he realizes that not only does he have his powers back, it's enhanced his powers. But then slowly over time, it starts to change his personality. And by the time he realizes it, the symbiote is like fully bonded with him. And he doesn't know how to get rid of it. One of the things that I had proposed was that you actually have a moment where he goes fully psychotic and he murders somebody. You know, in the course of that, that's when he realizes like he has to get rid of the suits. And so then like he manages to get rid of the symbiote suits. So the symbiote suit crawls off and goes, hides out in that that church that Eddie Brock eventually stumbles into. Yeah. And then that's when Peter Parker comes to embrace his original Spider-Man abilities. You end the movie with Eddie Brock getting the symbiote suit, bonding with it and becoming Venom. And him going like, I'll come for you, Spider-Man. But at the end of the movie, it's Spider-Man saying like, I'm going to retire from being Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. So then you set up a fourth movie where you're like, okay, this movie is going to be Spider-Man versus Venom. Instead of shoehorning Venom into the third movie, which was the studio's insistence, which is what caused Sam Raimi to be like, I'm done with Spider-Man. But we could also
0: introduce a new character in there that is some kind of like a like a wannabe sidekick to Spider-Man, and Spider-Man could kind of be like, Shoe flag, get away from me. I don't need your help. Person. All right. you
1: you you explain to the audience why they should buy you totally brand new Spider-Man character for Spider-Man.
0: I'm getting to it. Well, first of all, because in the Sony Marvel Cinematic Universe, they've only got one movie, which is Spider-Man. So no, they've,
1: got, they've got Fantastic Four. Ah.
0: yeah. Do they? Are you sure? All right. I'm, well, I'm totally positive anyway, so it's okay. The Sony only owns Spider-Man. Sony only owns Spider-Man. So they are allowed to make up new characters because they don't have any other characters. Anyway, so... You create this new character that's trying to be a sidekick to Spider-Man while he's dealing with whatever it is he's dealing with in the movie, and maybe the sidekick could even get kidnapped, and maybe he has to go save the sidekick as, like, a subplot. That could be very fun. And then at the very end, we could do a reveal that the Spider-Man sidekick is actually Miles Morales, who is in the Spider-Man universe, and he's the next Spider-Man.
1: Well, that's what I was going to say, is that at the end of Spider-Man 4, Spider-Man vs. Venom, you then have Spider-Man... Peter Parker hand off doing the Spider-Man to Miles Morales. Which here's the thing: is Miles Morales also Spider-Man because he got bit by a radioactive spider? I haven't read his backstory. Okay. All I know is he's Spider-Man. Well, maybe maybe Peter Parker works together with him and they develop the the, the web shooters. Peter Parker could be his Alfred. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then for Spider-Man 5 you have the Sinister Six plot line where uh, a little bit of the symbiote suit got away, got to, what is his His name's like Cassidy something, but the person who is Carnage. Mm-hmm. And then that's what you have in the fifth movie is you have Spider-Man and Venom teaming up together to battle Carnage and the Sinister Six. Boom! <laughs> Success. Million Success. dollars. We did it! <laughs> Write us a check. <laughs> Sony, call us up. We have got a great idea for you. But see, in, in the fan, I mean, I, I haven't really watched the Fantastic Four movies because I really don't care about them.
0: I've seen two out of three of them. The two with Jessica Alba.
1: How bad were those movies?
0: They were a lot like Spider Man, but like imagine Spider Man like that same look and feel, but like not working and effects being bad instead of working and effects being good.
1: Yeah, okay, it's 20th Century Fox, which 20th Century Fox also controls Um, X-Men.
0: Let me ask you a question. Um, Another thing that I am a big fan of, and I'm not sure if you've ever gotten into it or know anything about it, is uh, the Batman Beyond universe. Is
1: that an animated
0: thing? Yeah. It was created as an animated show, but it's this really great new dynamic for Batman that really works, where he gets a new Robin. Um, He's an old man, he gets a new Robin, except the Robin becomes Batman,
1: which is what I thought was going to happen with the Batman character at the end of Dark Knight Rises. Me too,
0: yeah. And so there's a new Batman, and old Bruce Wayne is playing, like, the Alfred, the kind of guy that, like, sits at home and, and gives commands to, to Robin, but, uh, but Robin is Batman. So Robin is Batman, and Batman is Alfred. And Alfred Which, is let's,
1: let's talk about for a second, The Watchmen. The Watchmen does what I think is a really good job of kind of parodying, you know, what was going on with superhero stories um in that doctor manhattan was was superman but he was kind of like a dark version of superman of like what if the us did have this unstoppable god what if they used him to sort of advance like you know their political um, agenda their military strategies throughout the world and sort of what 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 kind of what what would that do and at the same time you have the owl which is batman and that's what they did with the owl was You know, he passed his costume off to a younger man because he could no longer do it. And so he kind of served, not as his Alfred, but he was his mentor. Yeah. You know, and and you even had that with another character to where the comedian, he, uh, didn't he rape the mother of um, Dr. Manhattan's lover? Yes. And also Rorschach was in it who was a cool character. He was sort of the Wolverine kind of character. Right, right. Where he's like, he's the anti-hero, he's he's not into team-ups or anything like that. See,
0: what I don't dig, though, is when they're trying to parody something, but the parody relies so strongly on you having exclusive knowledge and you sort of filling in that mental gap yourself. Like, see Manhattan as Superman, see Al as Batman. Well, no,
1: I think, like, the thing is, is you could enjoy that movie without having to know, like you know, certain details of the characters that they're based on. I mean, when I saw the Owl person,
0: what I thought was, oh, wow, they should have tried harder to come up with a character that's not so much like Batman. I didn't think, like, oh, this is supposed to be Batman. Like, I don't get why that should even be
1: a thing, like a parody, you know, a a parody of Batman in that kind of a way. Well, what they were trying to do when they originally made the Watchmen comic was um, they had some characters that weren't really being used and so, you know, when they, when they pitched the story idea, they said, we want to do this comic book, we want to set it in a dystopian future, we want to set it in a world where people are, are, have turned on superheroes, like kind of the golden age of superheroes has passed, yeah. and now the public is wary of them and they want them to go away, and now we're kind of getting into like the second generation of all these superhero characters, and they're dealing with problems that... that you know, the, those who came before them didn't have to deal with. Right. And and the, the objection was because they wanted to kill some of the characters, but uh, they objected to that, so they had to invent new characters. Mm-hmm. And then once they started inventing new characters, they're like, oh, we can just do kind of like slightly shifted versions of Batman, Superman, Wolverine, whatever. Wonder yeah, Woman. That's, that's
0: too off-brand for me, though. It's like I get that that's for a certain audience, and certain people are gonna go nuts. Yeah, but that. it's not GoBots off-brand. But it's not for me, though.
1: Well, and like <clears throat> it's a tough thing for me because, like, as someone who thinks Zack Snyder should change his name to Hack Snyder, um, <laughs> I do. I do ultimately really, really like uh, Watchmen. I probably need to go back and re-watch it to see if I actually do like it, or if I just feel like I like it. And I did like 300 a lot, which 300 was a comic book. Well, why don't, we, why don't we talk about this? Okay, so here's an interesting tidbit about Deadpool that I think some people know, but not everybody knows. So what Ryan Reynolds and it's Tim Miller, right? Yeah. What, what they did was they made their own little uh, kind of... Uh, short film. Yeah, they made a short film. Um, a sizzle. A, a sizzle. And that's part of what helped get Deadpool made. And really, it's, it's, it's silly. It, it's kind of... Evident that the studio didn't really know what property they were dealing with. The fact that they were wary of whether or not there was enough audience support for a Deadpool movie. Which now we know obviously there was. But you know they didn't think it was there. Which is why they were so reluctant to make a Deadpool movie for a long time. And which is why they continually slashed the budget of the Deadpool movie that we got. Because they were like, we want to minimize our losses as much as possible. But, but it's not like Deadpool is a sure thing. It's, like it's a, not like Deadpool is a sure thing, but really, no movie is a sure thing if it's not done well. Right. If you do, like, like if they would have done a shitty version of, of Star Wars Episode Seven, like, if they would have done something that was worse than any of the prequels, that's a movie that ultimately would have not made as much money as it did. I'm, I'm losing my point. So they made a little sizzle reel for the Deadpool movie, and that helped it get made. Well, they did the same thing with uh, the You Punisher. Can't See Right Now. Yeah, I'm wearing a Punisher t-shirt. And I think the Punisher is a cool character. But yeah. I've, I've never watched a Punisher movie, just because I don't, I don't want to watch a Punisher movie. And like what's funny about that, I didn't realize that Thomas Jane and whoever else was involved made directed, a sizzle reel. Thomas Jane directed that. They made a sizzle reel for the Punisher called Dirty Laundry. Well, it's more of a short film.
0: Well, it's, it's short film whatever. Yeah. Right it's, but it's supposed to entice you to be like, what would a whole movie like this be like?
1: Yeah. But essentially, it has problems. Uh, well, the biggest problem is that it is absolutely, like, porn for hardcore, gun-nut, conservative, right-wing white people. It is so blatant, and it's so, hardcore racism. Because Thomas Jane is doing his laundry in, like, the blackest part of town for no reason at all. Which all it is is it's it's the the generic shot of... Uh, I think the sixth street bridge which is being torn down right now in Los Angeles.
0: like I've never seen anybody like do their laundry with like so much vigor. Like he's he's picking it up over here, he's walking over there with it, he's unloading it, like he's just yeah, he got, rolls
1: out of his van. It's like, man, if you're rolling out the back of his laundry van, day, man. you're not you don't give a damn about doing laundry. <laughs> but this dude is full You focus give a damn about getting, getting drunk. You know? <laughs> you you're like, give me a hamburger, I wanna see if I can get some crack. I'm gonna get drunk. I got a huge mustard stain on my shirt. I don't care. Hey, what
0: are you doing tonight? I'm going to watch the dry cycle for 45 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) It's the most exciting thing I have to do.
1: No, but this is like, what are you doing tonight? I'm killing a bunch of fucking black people. Right. Which is what he does. Essentially, he He goes on this killing spree. Because, like... I mean, they even, they literally, they, they have uh, Ron Perlman in the movie, and I called it before he said it. He literally refers to a group of black men harassing people on the street. He's like, a bunch of fucking animals out there. Yeah, the only other white character that I remember yeah, seeing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty foul. <laughs> the only good people in this movie are white people. Like, the girl that gets beat up and raped in the beginning of the movie... It's, it's, or at the end of the, at the beginning of the short film, it's kind of alluded to that she's a prostitute. Well, first of all. And then there's a little black kid walking through the neighborhood, and like, they're like, they're like you gonna you go sell drugs for us? You gonna sell drugs for us? Like, show me one that has ever happened. That they like, <laughs> just grab some little white kid walking down, or little little kid walking down the street with his backpack. And he's like, hey, hey, Keith, you gonna sell drugs for us, or we're gonna beat you up and take your shoes. Well, what's, what's funny about it too is that essentially,
0: um, he waits so long to fight back against these guys that by the time he does, it's kind of like it's, it almost makes more sense that he would go more brutally violent because he hasn't been fighting them the whole time. And the whole time he's doing his laundry while they're running around terrorizing this whole neighborhood. Yeah, There's he does this, nothing
1: when this girl gets raped.
0: Yeah, it's all this black-on-black black crime So it's trying to like point the finger at... And like, the only person who
1: can stop this black-on-black black crime is... A white guy doing his laundry. And the last white guy that tried to stop them... Got shot in the spine and now he's in a wheelchair. (laughs) Right. Because they're a bunch of animals.
0: And then the way, but then the way they leave it towards the end is so
1: despicable because he
0: brutally dismembers every single limb. Like he doesn't just break the arms and legs. Like he completely severs all four limbs.
1: He snaps, like he gives, he gives the main bad guy. Multiple compound fractures. Yeah. He gives him a in, compound fracture in, in every single in every limb. every
0: single limb, yeah. Like,
1: they show him lying down, and his feet are, like, turned out to the sides. <laughs> like, if you've, seen, if you've seen It Follows when her leg at the beginning of the movie is all, like, busted backward, that's what his leg looks like. And, you know? it, and it's not
0: that it's unbelievable that black people would do crime or or any of the, the you know, wherewith, what's, you know, how the, you come up with this, but you, you have to cast this thing. You know, you have to go out of your way to put one particular race in as one thing and another particular race in as something else.
1: Like, if you haven't seen it and you want to know what it looks like without actually watching it, close your eyes right now and then think about the most hardcore of Trump supporters. And then picture in your mind the sort of violence that they would beat off to. And that's exactly what this is. I swear to God, like, every single conservative that's watched this has probably come to it at least twice.
0: Well, then he covers the guy in gasoline and lights a Zippo and leaves it there. No,
1: no, no, not gasoline. He covers the guy in Jack Daniels. Oh, excuse me. Like, the (laughs) widest, the widest possible (laughs) weapon he could use. A bottle of Jack
0: Daniels whiskey. Yeah, so he pours the the, uh, Jack Daniels on him and he leaves a Zippo lighter, like, with the flame on there. And some, uh, some, uh, the victim... That's also a black person comes by that he was victimizing the, the, the rape, the rape, the rape victim. victim, and she throws the zippo on him as if to say like even when even when it's all said and done it's still it's them doing all the violence. Yes, you know he's he didn't kill anybody. Well, did he kill anybody? <laughs> well, I don't remember. But, I don't. I don't know. I mean, he brutally assaults a whole group of people
1: i can't remember like he his. is unstoppable like like the the main bad guy has a gun shows him he has a gun and somehow doesn't use the gun to shoot him like he has a gun and he throws a bottle of whiskey and hits this dude in the face bottle of whiskey doesn't break okay it's a magic bottle of whiskey and not only that he gets all of his limbs broken yeah. but The Punisher isn't going to burn this guy alive. He'll let somebody else do it. Oh, it's a black person.
0: (laughs) And I I really didn't catch the blatant racism in it the first time I saw it, but then when I thought about it, And I was trying to tell you about it. I was like, you know, now that I think about it, I remember there being a racial element that was a little disturbing. Like,
1: I swear to God, like, Bill (laughs) O'Reilly has probably watched this at some point and, like, thought it was a documentary. And he's like, see, 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 this is what they're all doing out there. This is what they're all doing out there. We need good white people to stop them. But the, the problem with it is that you're, first of all, you're showing
0: this totally unrealistic gang scenario, and they never really explain what's going on. It's the middle of the day. He's just out there shouting at people and ordering people around, and he's got a gun. There's no police
1: around, even though in Los Angeles the police headquarters is literally walking distance from where they are. Yeah. Like, like you go to downtown L.A., you stand somewhere for 15 minutes and tell me if you don't see a police car drive by. If you don't see a police car drive by, you will hear a police helicopter pass over.
0: You know, So they're trying to, to unload a scenario where, what's the Punisher do You know, on laundry day? He's doing his laundry, dirty laundry. There's some kind of crime happening outside. And they probably thought about doing an armored truck. They probably thought about robbing a liquor store. That's probably how Ron Perlman's character even wound up in, in any of the drafts of it. He was probably going to get stuck up at some point. But then eventually they just settle on, we'll just have a loud pack of black people outside that are just murderous and killing everyone. And there's no there logical... They're
1: raping women, they're beating up school kids. Yeah, there's, there's
0: no goal they're trying to accomplish. They're, they're just out there just being total animals. And it's just, it's the most despicable thing.
1: I mean, like, the only way it could have been more offensive is if it would have been a bunch of white people with black face running around with spears like that's the only way it could have been more
0: offensive. It was offensive, dude. It was it was very offensive to me. Cuz like Ugh. people don't act like that and when you when you paint them in that sort of a light and especially for a comic book like that that's from a from an error when like I could believe that, that that there was many comic books that that have that sort of thing happening in them from an older time period, but we're not in that time period anymore. Right? Yeah,
1: I mean, the origin of the Punisher character was that the Mafia, like, there was a Mafia shootout that killed his family. And so, um, I forget what the Punisher's actual, um, what his, is, uh, you know, uh, regular name is. It doesn't matter. He's the Punisher. but it's, Frank um, Castle. Frank Castle. Yeah, that's right. Which is a cool name. It's a really cool name. Um, but you could could be the Punisher, man. You should be the next Punisher. His family gets, uh, murdered, uh, gets gunned down and crossfire of, like, a mafia shootout. Like, there's a mafia hit, and, like, his family, I, I forget exactly how it happens, but, like, that was the thing. Is his character, like, went through, like, like, you know, kind of the way Deadpool does. He goes through the ranks of the mob to get to the person that ordered the hit that ultimately murdered his family. Yeah. And, like, a lot of it has to deal with the fact that getting, a, getting revenge is ultimately an empty feeling. Right. And that what keeps driving the Punisher is that he's saying, like, there is nothing I can ever do that will bring my family back. But if I stop these people from murdering anybody else's family, they won't create another Punisher. Yeah. I will like like this is now my lot in life. This is the burden that I carry. But I will carry this burden alone if I know I'm keeping it from happening to other people. Whereas like this like dirty laundry is all about like we got to do something about these black but, people but, out here. They're just raping people and just but let's let's be fair to them though. That definitely
0: was not their intent. I think it was an unfortunate side effect of bad casting and a series of of bad decisions
1: that Yeah, but it. still like Racism, even if racism is unintentional, like actual racism is still just as bad as intentional racism. Yeah, but unintentional racism unintentional racism I think is actually worse than intentional racism. Because well, if someone realizes they're being racist, at least at least then like they're aware of the problem. They're aware that they're racist. You know like hulk hogan like now he knows he's racist but before if hulk hogan is saying racist if if hulk hogan is being a racist Uh and he's not aware that he's being a racist that's worse than hulk hogan being like i don't like black people i don't trust them. you know and then it's like yeah but that's 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 bad and he can at least feel guilty about it but if you are racist like if you see like a black person you're like oh he's gonna i better watch him he's gonna break into a car like, and you don't think about how racist that is. Like, that's worse than if you're just like, I saw a black guy and I thought, like, you know, he's kind of suspicious. Yeah. Do you, you get the point I'm making?
0: Uh, well, I, I'm just, I, I mean, I hear you're screaming over my point, but my point is, I, I think we've heard your point a few times, but my point is just that I'd like to acknowledge that they probably didn't mean to be racist. They were being unintentionally racist, and I agree with you that that is possibly worse. I, I think to be an outright... Racist has got to be worse though. I mean, I mean, it's got to be. I mean, if you're just passively racist,
1: and and you don't even notice, but I'm that saying you're like doing passive it, racism is kind of like what that. it's what it, it's what it's what actively drives institutionalized racism. It's it's what it's what allows people to look at an unarmed black kid get, being gunned down by a police officer and going like, yeah, but was he in a gang? Was he like a bad kid? You know, and like it's them like look, it's when you sit there and you look at a white person, you go, oh, that's a person like me. And you think about what that person wants in life. You think about that person being your friend and you look at a black person and you don't think that you could ever relate to that person. at all. It
0: would have been worse if like the woman that he was raping would have been white, for example. That would have been worse. What if it was a white guy raping a black woman, though? I'm just saying, like the racism could have been worse. It wasn't
1: the worst. Well, I mean, like, okay, here, here's here's a good example. Like, like this kind of relates to what we're talking about here. Is like the way that, you know, there there if a young pretty white woman disappears, it becomes a national story. Whereas when a young pretty black woman disappears, I know that, but we're talking about like especially the darker her skin is, the that. less
0: people care about. I know hers. that, and I agree with you, but you're and
1: I'm saying that's unintentional racism yeah I that's agree. casual like like right. very passive racism and that's but, how it
0: works but also but in in the movie making industry which you and i know more about than most people which is which has a Hold lot on. of let me finish inherent racism finish to my point there's a hashtag oscar so white a big element of it is the economy of characters you know you have your let's say you have a superhero movie your main guy is most likely going to be a white superhero. Why? Because the history of comic book characters are white. The mo- all the most famous A-list actors because are
1: white. Comic books in America have a ton of racism in them. Right. Like once you get all back in the into the 50s and start racism, going back, let's further use than the word that, white
0: people. Uh, white people are the heroes usually. I'm just saying, if there's a superhero movie, most likely the superhero is going to be a white guy. Agree yeah. or disagree? Yeah. Then because of the economy of characters, now you've got to balance that. You got the superhero, now you got the bad guy. Now, if you cast a black guy and all of their gang and, they, and they're portrayed as this, like, street gang, like, that's going to be racist. You know, what, what you need <laughs> to do... Or it's going to be
1: Death Wish. Yeah. It's going to be the Death Wish movie. Yeah.
0: Now, if you cast it all white, then there's no diversity for the black people. You know, if you do a black superhero that's fighting in an all-white crime neighborhood, that's going to seem
1: like a, an opposite version of reality. With Spider-Man when 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 Sam Raimi was like I'm done with Spider-Man and Sony was like well shit we need to make more Spider-Man movies when they recast Spider-Man yeah. they they cast Andrew Garfield and there was a movement at the time where people were like hey you know what like they just had a black Puerto Rican character because it's New York and that's Dominicans Puerto Ricans black people that's that's a huge part of the population yeah, he New wanted York. to play Miles Morales people were pushing for Donald Glover to get cast as Spider-Man yeah, And you could have had a great movie if you would have done that. So if you would have had a well-written story. And instead, what did you get? You get Andrew Garfield, cute little pink white guy playing Spider-Man. And his bad guy for the second movie, Black Dude, oh, Jamie Foxx. Pause for just a second. It's baby's birthday today. Happy birthday, babe. So now Andrea can share this with her Facebook friends and be like, I get a birthday shout-out on the podcast. Everyone listen. Please Happy down. birthday. Okay. That was something that they had in Guardians of the Galaxy, which I thought was a, was a really good movie. It was that you had, you had diversity amongst the characters. I hate when I blank on names. Are you talking about the guy from Jurassic Park? Yeah. That was Chris Pratt. So Chris Pratt is, is Star-Lord, Peter Quill. He's your main character in the movie. Um, Zoe Saldana played the, the female character. So that is an African-American woman. Um, and then you had a raccoon and a tree were the other characters, but they were both voiced by white people. Well, and
0: because of the economy of characters, you're going to have a, a scenario where you're going to have one black, one tree, one Asian person, one Hispanic person, one raccoon, and, and it's like everyone's going to get one vote at the table. Like, even though they might not be, there might not be an equal amount of tree people as there are raccoon people, it's just going to be one raccoon, one tree person... You know, like, there's going to be one from each yeah, sort of like, racial group.
1: Like, I know this isn't the best example, but if you go back to, like, the Star Wars prequels, whenever they show the Senate, I mean, it's diverse. Like, even with the Jedi, it's, it's not white person, white person, white person. Like, not everybody looks like Obi-Wan and, and Luke Skywalker amongst the Jedi. I mean, you know, freaking uh, Yoda is a little green guy. You know they have a, yeah. they have another guy that is like purple or something. You know. Yeah, but when and they've like, got
0: a big wide shot and they've just even got to with fill Star a bunch Trek characters
1: with Star Trek, you have you you have multiple races like not just of human beings but of alien characters like all coming together working on a common goal and like that's exactly what America is. Yeah. You know it's it's just that whenever like we represent America, especially like the more mainstream the media gets, you know. When you're talking about, like, you got a movie that you're trying to play for a wide audience, you know, that's when everything gets whitewashed. It's it's a white guy falling in love with a white woman fighting against an evil white man who has you know, he might have a black guy for his, like, henchmen, right. you know, but but that's what it is, and it's an it's extension of British imperialism. Right. but You, you know, th- of just, like, white people come in, and white people are like, we are now your lords now, and the rest of you work for us if we don't kill you first. You right, know? but
0: because if you think about the economy of characters, though, if you cast the hero as, let's say, the black guy, and the love interest as the Asian person, and the main bad guy as the Hispanic guy... And the sidekick as a little kid who's also a munchkin. It's like when you pick one person from each diversity group. Yes, while you're you are gonna have a super diverse group of people, you might have a, like an unrealistically diverse, and that, that's sort of the the, the balance you have well, to no, do. No, unrealistically
1: diverse is the is the cover picture on a community college, you know, uh, uh, directory. You know, that's that's unrealistic, but. Like, the, the reality is, like, when you and I were walking down the street just now through Sherman Oaks, like, we saw a diverse group of people. Yeah, and like that's that's the reality of the world that we live in. Like we we now live in a world where you can go from one side of the world to the other in but the I'm, same day. I'm saying you only and you so many going to see a diverse group of people, and we live in America, which is made up of immigrants. America, like like I mean, the native people who lived here yeah. before the immigrants started that's coming. What, I'm here. talking about making like movies. they're mostly dead. I'm talking about when you write a story, you've got. Characters. And when you write a story and you have mostly white people playing those characters, it's because it's rooted in racism. And you have that, like when you go back and you look at all of these movies that are set in Egypt and all of these movies that are set in ancient Egypt, the majority of your char- your actors in those movies, the principal roles are all played by white people. Uh, you you look at uh, Exodus, the Ridley Scott movie, white people. You know, you, you look at what's happening with the Oscars right now. There's this whole movement yeah. where it's because everything is white, white stories about white people played by white actors. It doesn't matter where it's yeah. set. I went and watched a really terrible movie called The Forest. It's set in the Okigahara Forest of Japan. Two main characters in the story, white people, looking for a third white person. <laughs> it's a movie in Japan with mostly white people. You know but That was a movie made for North American audiences. I know, but still, it's like you could have made the story. You could have had Japanese actors playing Japanese characters. But didn't they do you know? that? for the Japanese
0: s- version of the movie wasn't that movie famous? For I don't,
1: that? I don't think. No, I think this is a, this isn't a remake or anything. I think this is a, a purely original story. I'll have to re- I, th- I thought I heard that this was the movie that they shot like one version with Japanese
0: actors and no. one version with no. white actors for each continent.
1: No, I mean because like when you do that with the ring, like the ring. Took Ringu. Well, that which was, was a that Japanese was a movie. I'm talking about one movie being shot. Yeah,
0: but twice. I'm saying this isn't. This isn't a, a remake. Yeah. This isn't a remake. I know. I, well, I, I'm t- telling you something. I thought I heard.
1: Maybe. But I'm, I'm saying wrong. like that's that's that's. Like, I mean, that just like shows you like how it. how far it goes, and like it's only when you're paying attention and you notice it, and you're like, hey, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You know? Because like if that'd be like if I made a movie that was set in Mexico City and it was all white people, you know. Yeah. Whereas, like, Mexico City is a pretty diverse place. It's a huge city, but it's still like, okay, like, you're making this story about this other place, but it's all about people. If you could just as easily make the movie, you know, where it's set in a forest in the Appalachians, you yeah. know, it's set in New York City instead of Mexico City, then it's kind of like, okay, like, But you're, you're are, are all... you going... You want the exotic locale, but you don't want the exotic people. But your whole locale. land is, is not taking into
0: account the fact that When you make a movie, there are certain characters that you need to fit into certain, like, archetypes. Like, you need... You need a main character. And it's completely and colorblind. That's the interest. argument I'm
1: making, is it's completely colorblind. The insistence on making these characters white is rooted in racism. But what I'm telling you... It's rooted in racism because what they're saying is, well, white people are only going to care about white characters. Wrong. And the only people we care about coming to see the movie are white people. We only want white people's money. I and I know that's not true. I, I, know, I know they want you're everybody's talk, you're talking money. As if but what they're, you're they're aiming for... That's what I'm
0: saying, too. I'm agreeing with you. What I'm saying, though... There's only so many parts to fill. There's only so many different racial types. So we're gonna. What we're doing right now is we're getting to a point where, like in the new Star Wars, where the main guy is black, the uh, the love interest is a white girl, and then uh, Oscar Isaac. Is he a white guy too, or is he Hispanic or something? Oscar Isaac
1: is Hispanic. I'm pretty. He is so
0: good, so. dude. After we yeah. saw him in that um, Ex Machina movie, dude, I'll watch anything with that. He dude was in good. He's so good. I
1: think the only time he hasn't been good is in. Um, Oh, he's good, dude. Another movie from Hack Snyder, uh, Sucker Punch. <laughs> and I think I think that was probably a case of he realized he was in a bad movie, and he's like, I'm going to ham it up. Yeah. You know? Because even still, like, as bad as he, he is, like, in his line delivery, it's, like, entertaining to watch what I've heard, uh, but I didn't I didn't watch the movie myself. I've, I've watched clips of it, and it looks... Which movie? Sucker Punch. Oh, no, I haven't seen that either. I, I just remember when the trailer came out for it, and it was the follow-up to 300, and I was like, oh, mm. this looks bad. I was interested to see it for so a little bad. bit. Or, no, no, it was review. the follow-up to Watchmen. He made 300, then Watchmen, and then he made Sucker Punch. And Sucker Punch was like his own original idea. Everything else he'd done before that was based on a graphic novel. And then he gets to Sucker Punch, and it's just bad. And yeah. then he makes Superman, Man of Steel, and it's just, it was boring. Like, it was bland. It was unentertaining. Yeah. It was it was a chore to watch the movie, but um, yeah. So that that's kind of the thing is I, I like the fact that with a movie like um, Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy has kind of that more Star Trek diversity to it, you know. Yeah, and it's it's sort of there's it hints at a larger story because it's part of the the Marvel Cinematic Universe and it's going to be part of the Infinity Gauntlet story that they keep alluding to. Which I, I don't care about any of that. I'm just like, give me a good, entertaining movie to watch. Don't make me have to watch other movies that I'm not interested in. I don't, I don't want to watch a goddamn Thor movie. I don't want to watch a goddamn Captain America movie. I like like the if first you make Thor. a good Captain America movie that like I keep hearing is like like if you make a Captain America movie that's like the Captain America version of The Dark Knight. Yeah. You know, to where it's like, oh, you got to see these performances. I'll go and watch that. I don't care about Captain America. I can give two shits. Same thing with the Fantastic Four. If you make a Fantastic Four movie where it's just like you got to watch this movie, it's unbelievable. I'll go and watch it. But if you're like, well, you have to watch this movie so that way when you watch, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy two, then you know what's going on. I'm like, don't make me do that. Don't make me do that because I'll just not watch Guardians of the Galaxy two. Well, I think this has
0: been uh, sequelitis for us. I think let's let's break up out of here.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our uh, whole debate about racism. And uh, also, when we talked about uh, superhero movies. So, anyway, yeah, cool. have a good week, everybody. Let's cut all that stuff out so
0: we don't sound like idiots. <laughs> Bye.
1: They call me dead, bro. I'm hella fat. Came to mark the bad guys and get some ass Got blades for days, got guns galore Got combo moves, evades and more With bear traps and hand grenades Pull the pistol like a maniac right in your face Popping off caps, leave a trail of guts Sitting on my chair, scratching my nuts Don't stop when I shoot full auto. was on Your ass is grass and I'm on the lawn Hot lead to the head and I won't stop What your crew gonna do when I hack and chop? All these bitches are pre-maggas, I stuff my face with Jimmy Changas. tacos and beers, always keeping it loose. Hang on for a minute while I'm dropping a deuce.
0: Yeah.